0: I just want to cheers to the natural orientation of most webcams. They they tend to have a sort of horizontal aspect ratio. They're not uh, sort of, you know, four link. I basically can't see anything beneath somebody's waist. And uh, as I have more and more Zoom meetings, I am more and more grateful for that. Because, you know, there's warning signs in the background for a lot of your work colleagues. Some of them, just from knowing them around the office, you're absolutely certain they're not wearing pants, but the webcam mercifully turns away. So I think we should give it up to our webcams for, the um, webcam. for their taste and discretion.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer.
0: And this is the mix Six, where we have six conversations, drink six beers, rate them on a five-point scale, um, and occasionally have Burke along.
2: So, hi, Burke. Hey, hi. Thanks for accepting my invitation to your podcast.
0: Yeah, Burke's joined us in our sort of VR cyberspace where we record. It's a lot like... um, A holodeck. Yeah, it's a lot like an episode of Ghost in the Shell in here. We're all just sort Mm -hmm. of like frozen, dressed in very, very interesting... (laughs) Anime Gear uh, talking about highfalutin concepts. Um, we this have no preference
1: pre- that I kind of get.
0: Good job. Good job, buddy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sending you an emoticon right now floating across our holographic table. Um, we don't have much Love of that. a pre-party, except uh, two people on this podcast have another podcast, and it's definitely not me or Spencer. so do they want to talk about that other podcast?
3: Uh Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Uh Night Clerk Radio is a, a new music review podcast that Burke and I are doing. Uh it we review vaporwave, dark ambient and other haunted uh genres of music. Uh what does that mean? Well, listen to the podcast to find out. Uh we have reviewed uh dark jazz, mallsoft, uh we are Let's see here. Quite a few different subgenres of vaporwave out there. But if you want to know what more about what vaporwave is, uh, and if you need new music recommendations uh, in this time period, like you know, uh, while you work or uh, clean up the house for the eighth time, uh, this is uh, a good podcast to uh, check out. Burke, uh, do you have anything else
2: to add? Yeah, no, it's just a part of a larger conversation about like music and internet niche culture and, mm-hmm. and why that sort of stays relevant with at least a small group of people. Um, not just delve into music reviews, but also sort of the theory behind these various genres. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of fun to record the episodes we have, and I, I look forward to doing more.
1: I can't think of a better place to pitch a Vaporwave review podcast oh. than a podcast which routinely takes probably five to eight percent of its time making fun of Ross for Vaporwave. So yeah. Th- yeah. this was a mashup, as they say. I also That's
0: think you guys hit the, hit the nail on the head with the timing. A lot, a lot like a person running like a bread blog in, in 2020, you've really just stumbled into a, a gold mine. Because I know if I've ever needed recommendations for music to listen to while wandering around large, abandoned commercial spaces, um, it's 2020. Like, yeah. never, Vaporwave. never never a soundtrack i needed before but now like am i going to be going through a desolate abandoned mall i don't know is it a tuesday of course uh-huh. that's where i fair, that's where i you know pull copper wiring I, of course i'm going to need a, li- a playlist for that so yeah absolutely uh, yeah uh, you guys the- are on the cutting edge
2: the, the uh, way you can build it out into so many other genres. Vaporwave is really the sourdough starter of music. <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, slash unsubscribe.
3: Uh, um, Caleb, have you listened to miles to midnight? The album we reviewed in our dark ambient introduction. episode?
0: I, I did. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you recommended, I listened to it for one of the episodes you were going to do with me. Oh, and that's right. Yeah, yeah. You had like three episodes we were going to do together and then you kept canceling them. I have kept having to listen to new weird ambient music. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. Um, and we eventually landed on the one that I listened to when I got pulled over and a cop thought I was a Satanist. But, um, <laughs> that's an, an episode be, of Nightclerk. because of the music. Yeah, that's an episode of uh, Nightclerk Radio. Uh, find out why. So, uh, Burke, as a guest, we wanted to give you the option to uh, do our rating system for this episode. Just make sure to keep it as broad as and like relatable to the widest possible audience we're not really niche like you guys at night clerk We really go for the mass appeal. So, you know pick something that everyone can relate to.
2: Yeah, absolutely Yeah No So in my quest to have very relatable rating mm-hmm. systems that everyone has some experience with uh, today We're doing camera f-stops or aperture ratings The Great. aperture. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Hey, it's important. So the aperture is kind of mm-hmm. one of the three parts of the exposure triangle that you sort of consider when you take a photo. Oh,
1: exposure triangles. Okay. Shutter speed. Yeah. There's, well, shutter, not, speed, yeah, there's shutter
2: speed, ISO, or film sensitivity, and aperture. And each one has right. its own effect on the you mean the, the exposure image. triangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. It's 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 <laughs> right. basic community college photography 101. Um, yeah. right, yeah. So these are my sort of five rated F-stops. So starting with number one, so a beer that's a number one is a beer you'd never want anything to do with ever again. Just put it right down the sink. I'm going with F22. Oh, so F22 that bastard. Is, mm. it's, it's very small. doesn't let in a lot of light, but it's also yep. so small that you start to get diffraction issues, which are actually soft in your image. So you can actually hurt your image quality on certain lens. By oh, stop man. It down too don't far. want that. No, don't want that. It's really bad. So moving on to F2. I'm going to keep a straight face to this, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not. Uh, number two is F16. Now we've opened up a little bit. Um, it's not a one. It's, it's very similar to an F-22 where it can be stopped down so much that you can have diffraction issues with certain lenses. Right. But it does have, it is an important component of the Sunny 16 rule, which is if you don't have a light meter back in the days before digital cameras, if you shot at one, an shutter speed of one over your film speed and F-16, you'd generally be okay. That's an old film technique. So it bumps it up to a two. Yep. Are they all named after planes? Uh, no. No, the F is, is, is focal length because it's a ratio. It's your focal length. Over so a number.
0: just the first two are named after planes. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's a coincidence,
2: well, Caleb. All right. <laughs> if we let, you know, maybe if you dump more into the defense budget, we'd be able to make the three other planes. <laughs> right. What's but the now F-35, They don't have enough money, 31? so they're stuck with two <laughs> planes. F 35 is real bad. So, so moving on to a three which is sort of your your baseline expectation for a beer something that's pretty drinkable but not amazing that's f8 so f8 is generally the sweet spot for most lens it's where you kind of get your your sharpest image you still have a lot of depth of field so if you're doing like landscapes or outdoor shots you still have a lot in focus but you don't really hurt image quality in either direction does that make sense guys any questions
0: uh, it's all F eight is also the only plane we'll be able to afford to build after the Hello. recession. Hey, so, yeah.
2: that's uh, defense budgets are bulletproof, which it's, I also learned being near Northern Virginia in two thousand eight <laughs> recession. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: foolish of me. Anyway, go on, go on. So four. Now we're moving into like really good beers, beers that are memorable that you might seek out that you want to have again. So I'm going F two eight. So we've jumped down a lot. So uh, oh, there's F8 decimals eight. now. Okay, yeah, point eight. Good. <laughs> So this is a, don't shake your head at me. This is a, a wide open lens. So 2.8 is sort of the holy trinity of your, your F2.8 zooms. So you typically would have three lenses that are like wide angle, moderate to telephoto and fairly telephoto at F2.8. That tends to be like the professional grade. They're, they're very fast and they let in a lot of light. So they work in a variety of situations um, by being... A smaller number, that 2.8, you have a, a shallower depth of field, so you get that nice portrait effect where like, only your subject is in focus, but maybe the rest is, is kind of blurred out. Yeah, really really good lens tend to be at f2.8. So like f2.8, it's a 4 for me. And it's a uh, holy
0: trinity, despite not making it up to a three integer. So well, it's, it's pretty three
2: lenses. The they trinity rounded it three up. Three lenses. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you the, gotta think bigger. Well, holy it's trinity two it's two lenses control. and
0: eighty percent of a lens. Like no,
2: no yeah. yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's three lenses that each have a maximum aperture of f two point eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the thing of optics design mm. is is if you want to <laughs> have a lens that lets in more light, mm-hmm. um, it becomes more expensive and more difficult to build a, a good lens. So, like, the pro lenses tend to be these also faster, bigger lenses. Cool. What, what's yep. a 5, then? So, a 5 is, like, what really changes uh, the way you think about beer, and also an mm-hmm. f-stop that really changes the way you think about photography, is f1.4. So, now we're really in the realm where you can only do this with prime lenses that are a single focal length. You can't, it's very difficult to do this with, with zooms over a range of focal lengths. But this allows you to really blow out your background and create really interesting artistic effects, or maybe only a sliver of a person or a sliver of an object is in focus. And you can have this incredible sharp image quality in one part of the image, and then the rest is kind of blurred out. You get these really, really interesting effects. So that's an F1.4, that's a 5 F stop, and that's a 5 beer.
0: You're blowing out the background, huh? I don't even have a joke. Blowing out the the back wall. You don't even have a joke.
2: Yeah, that that definitely
3: wasn't a joke. Uh Right, right. right. I forgot that I grew up. My you know, Leland is a photographer, so I I knew what f stops were since a child. So uh, I forgot that other people don't necessarily know what those are. Well, I know now that
0: um, it's like golf scores. The lower it is, the better it is. For me
2: personally, yeah. So everybody has their their own thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, yeah. Super relatable. Well, this has been an episode of Nova. Um, I'm gonna go drink a beer. Spencer, now that a one is a twenty-two, a two's a sixteen, a three's an eight, a four's a two point eight, a five's a one point four. What are you drinking?
1: And how does it rate? Man, the whole thing's fucked up for me because I'm just not crazy about decimals generally. So this is—I don't even <laughs> know if I can go above a three.
2: <laughs> I'll, be your, I'll be your decimal guy. Don't worry about it. Don't forget to put
3: F. you know, it's, Right. You know. Yeah, we it's are very,
0: very clear about our love of
1: integers on this podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Ta- type F for aperture. Um, so, this is from ArcBX Adam, uh, also a beer he gave us back at Gen Con and I stored very safely, might I add. Uh, and since we won't be going to Gen Con this year, I felt like this was a good way of reproducing the effect. So, this is from Country Boy Brewing. The beer is called, and I'm not lying nacho bait it is a habanero blonde ale. so here we go
3: i don't I knew
0: understand a fel- i knew a fellow named nacho bait back in the day he was he was crazy
2: I, I will say while he's drinking i really like the digital schedule where i can just drink on my my own <laughs> i'm really shooting for fall asleep outside a brewery drunk today <laughs> <laughs>
3: You're lured outside by nacho bait. That's what that is. You that's know.
0: what looks like he's having sinus issues. Yeah.
1: The, the habanero is real. Holy shit. <laughs> that's awesome. We had a, we had a habanero ale. Uh, Ross, we did that, that mix up uh, mm-hmm. the, the habanero cream ale or whatever. I think were.
3: it was ghost pepper and pineapple and like yeah. cream ale. Yeah. It was like and and lemon was, basil cider. Yeah,
1: that's right. And that burn was like a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. Kind of showed up at the end. Yeah. This thing is just front to back. Um, this is the one end of the camera to the other. There are parts in there. Um, so, but I gotta be honest, like, uh, blonde ales, which typically for me, I kind of look at and just do the hardest of shrugs. Yeah. It's the blonde ale is so, uh, nothing that it's a really, really good vehicle for this very good, interesting habanero flavor to like ride along the top and all the way back down. This is a four for me. Like, this is a really, this is a good beer. Um, Mm. I hate the name. Couldn't hate the name more, probably. And uh, and it's definitely like a little too much habanero, but I like the spice. Uh, I want to show everyone on the chat right now that the can says drink country boy on it. Um... That's horrible, too. I hate everything about this beer except how it tastes. And it's, it's a four, which is an F2.8, obviously, where you can get a, a really focused central image, but the background may blur. And in this case, the focused central image is the habanero, but the blonde ale is obscured in the background. So wow. You really brought
0: eight, that together. F2.8,
1: yeah. right. Well, I learned a lot.
0: A,
2: yeah. a good rating system gives you a lot to work with.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my no. favorite part of you drinking that was your Zoom background is now a Pokeball. Yeah. Um, so it made me imagine your trainer sort of throwing the ball, and you came out, and after drinking it, looked like you were just doing cocaine. So like <laughs> he caught you in the midst of partying. You're like, no, I'm ready to fight. No, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: uh, uh. What would we call it? A Uh Linazord? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's that's how I felt. Anyways, um, we're into dissecting our fun. So uh, I was, I don't know, I was on Facebook or something the other day, and I'm in, like, the Board Game Geek group, or one of those other, like, uh, not Board Game Geek, but functionally Board Game Geek groups, because there's a million of them. And someone had posted, like, convince me Catan is a good game. And I have no interest in taking that bait, but I was curious, Nacho Bait, I am curious like what other people were doing. So I read the comments because I wanted to see how many people would be like, fuck Catan and how many people would be like, no, listen, Catan has the place and here's the place. Or if there was a group of people that was like, Catan fucking rocks, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's great. And it got me thinking critically about my <clears throat> perspective on Catan now, years later, and how much my perspective on that game has shifted. Uh, a number of times right since my kind of initial interaction with it to the I think kind of natural curve uh like I Catan has a similar lineage from me to like IPAs you know what I mean like got really into it then I thought oh man fuck IPAs fuck Catan it's the most basic of beers and now I've come around to like you know what uh it's got a time it's got a place there's real value in that game and it can be fun and so I, I really started thinking about what other games have had that kind of massive shift in shift in perception for me over the years. And so I wanted to ask in dissecting our fun, cause we're not playing as many games together right now. Um, what game or games have had the most significant shifts for you, you know, from either loving it to hating it or hating it to loving it or a real bell curve of emotion around the game. What's had the biggest trajectory for you in terms of a game?
0: Well, Just in for- general. Yeah. Okay. For me, uh, the most obvious one that comes to mind is going to be Arkham Horror. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Taught me what board games could do. And then as I got more into board game mechanics and had to spend five turns waiting in a portal doing nothing, taught me what board games should never do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I have really soured on um, Arkham Horror. Um, one thing, that though... is that the that
1: first game we played together. Like, you were like, hey, I can run this for you. It's yeah,
0: good. yeah. That, that, yeah. and, that, and when you said, like, we play good board games, not like, sorry, that's what I instantly thought, because that was sure. my only experience at that point. Yeah. Um, the other thing, something that's improved over time, yeah. and, and not as drastically as uh, the Arkham thing, is, is Blood Rage. Um, Blood Rage is a game that does, like, require combat, like there is fighting in it. Yeah. Um, and we're typically not much fans of war games or anything that, that uh, have a lot of very aggressive player conflict. But the more I play Blood Rage, that that game between the way it uses its card mechanic, between um, the the constantly shrinking board, the the strategies of intentionally losing to gain more points in the end, like right. um, it's just a good game. And, and like, I, I feel dumb saying like, did you know Eric Lang is a good designer? Uh, <laughs> but um, Uh, He is a very good designer, and that game uh, proves it for me because it's a game type that I hate, and yet I still love Blood Rage because he does it so much better than um, any other game that requires a lot of, like moving plastic on the board. conflict. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I I agree with you. And I think about Blood Rage often, especially because I think of that type of game where there's more plastic on the board, which is more conflict heavy. It's also the most accessible version of that game I've probably played. Easily. It looks like a lot and it's really not to manage and and to learn as compared to like Rising Sun, for example, which looks incredible. I definitely want to play Rising Sun. I've never done it because I'm not going to learn it. And until someone says, I have a copy of Rising Sun, I'll (coughs) teach it to you. It's not going to exist for me, but I have a much more accessible scaled down version in Blood Rage that you own that I find much more interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Burke, Ross, games that have really changed trajectory for you.
2: Yeah, this is interesting because in the context of board games, um, my, my lazy, top answer is just board games in general since my Mm -hmm. initial introduction to them was was really terrible and then you played a shitload of games with me at origins Mm -hmm. last year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i was like oh i I sort of like these um in in a way that i really didn't because it was just hyper competitive people i think i I said my first experience with like adult big games are just my grad school friends destroying me at seven wonders because they didn't really teach me how to play seven wonders oh god they just kind of sat me down and were like i'm doing this stuff and i have a thousand points. Like. Okay, sure, okay, great, cool. yeah. congrats. Um, I, I would say a single game is, after we played it, through No Fault of Your Own, I fucking hated Heaven and Ale. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I had a very bad first playthrough of Heaven and Ale, because it mm-hmm. ended up just being one-on-one me versus Spencer for my first right. game. Yeah, And he was like, well, you know, you can make some mistakes in the first turn, and it's not a big deal. Which, nope. in two players, is a complete lie. Which <laughs> not a malicious lie, right. but it is a lie. Because I was so far behind in the economy that he could just bully me and just make like obviously largely inefficient turns well, just yeah. to block me. So I just got I got flattened.
1: Yeah, that that was a lie of of ignorance mostly. I hadn't played a ton of two player heaven and ale and I'd played a bunch yeah. of three and four player. And by turn two or three, there are so many resources on the board because people start making decisions and mm-hmm. not buying things all the time, that if, yeah. that if turn one, you really take off to kind of set up your board, turn two and three, there's typically a lot of resources available. Well, mm-hmm. I, I bought a lot of resources in that first turn, which <laughs> left the board kind of empty. Uh, and so, yep. but I do think, uh, I don't have a lot of justification for Heaven and Ale. Like I think Michael Keesling is a brilliant designer. Obviously he's done Azul and Heaven and Ale on a couple of the games that I'm interested in trying. Um, I don't have a justification for Heaven and Ale as a game uh sure. i love it but it is uh, unintuitive at a minimum the scoring mechanic is just bananas like there's no reason any scoring mechanic should be that difficult or contrived mm-hmm. uh and yet i enjoy playing heaven and ale i don't
2: know I, I i think it could be enjoyable I, I watched some videos of it i've sort of come back around to the next time we're together i want to try it again with sure m- more players um but it's okay i wasn't mad because you didn't break my streak of coming in second when I try new games. It's true. It's true. I still work out there. Um, But otherwise, yeah, it's just been for me just discovering that I actually like board games and they're Mm -hmm. fun if you have the right group.
0: I think maybe a separate topic is games that you can't judge until you already know how to play them. Mm. Like Heaven and Ale, Beast of Odin, um, fucking Great Western Trail, maybe even... Concordia, terraforming Mars there are games of complexity that are like really, really good, but you will have no strategy by the yeah. time you finish the first game, maybe mm-hmm. halfway through your second game you 'll get yeah. a strat and then in like the third game, if everyone 's already played, then you really see what it can do, and it sings like mm-hmm. there are, there are games of that level of complexity, I think, and sure. there there are also games that like for me, uh, black angel doesn 't hold up it 's one of those games where you need to have mm-hmm. played. Multiple, multiple times, and so Sarah and I played it like three nights in a row, just like, okay, we're gonna get this fucking iconography down. We're not gonna be looking at the book constantly, and then we got it down. We're just like, meh, it doesn't really hang together. Like, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't. It doesn't really hang together. It looks yeah. very pretty, but it, yep. I'm not wild about it. Um, so yeah, I think I think Heaven and Ale is one of those games. I liked Heaven and Ale by the time we got to like the sixth turn. And until then, I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, That's uh, yeah. interesting.
2: I yeah. mean, I, I uh, think Heaven and a <laughs> uh, because of the circumstances, is a particularly strong example. Because both Concordia and Terraforming Mars, even though my first playthrough I didn't do very well, um, I still wanted to play them again. Like, I would play Concordia. I had a lot of fun playing Concordia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, it, was, it was just, uh, it really clicked with me. I think mm-hmm. I just have a problem with the way I approach games the first time where I'm too experimental. So like that's in Terraforming Mars, I had that problem where I would just like play cards, get rid of cards, and I wasn't really thinking about what they did in terms of a larger engine. Yeah. I just wanted to see what they do.
3: Yeah. Um, um there's actually a lot of games that I can I can think of uh that I've changed my opinion of. Um a lot of games I started out with like maybe 10 years ago that were really popular, like sort of the first wave of, you know, board games and card games that were more um like munchkin like i used to like munchkin mm-hmm. you know uh big shame big big admission here um totally we all
0: we all had a face
3: yeah exactly i had that face cards against humanity um i'd never had a bad game of cards against humanity but there was one game i played with friends and then i realized oh this would be horrible if i was playing with people i didn't really trust and knew their sense of humor really well right. i can never play this again like <laughs> don't, nope nope uh this this ooh, this could have gone real bad uh there are uh there's a board game twilight came out with called zombies uh that i used to like but then i played one i oh it, it, yeah let, let's try this then it took forever to play through and i was like oh god never again um a lot oh, of the, oh, yeah. yeah
0: in zombie side any any zombie game on a yeah. board game is is a bad it's it's a scary theme because yeah it's management there's just gonna
1: mm. you know there's gonna be too much plastic too much shit coming around like yeah mm-hmm. i feel that way about and, and to that point I think Dead of Winter is like objectively a good, interesting game, Mm -hmm. but holy fuck, are you managing a ton of plastic on that board? Um,
0: Yeah, I I like Dead of Winter because it at least gives you spaces on the board to put the zombies. You're not just like grabbing handfuls of them and chucking them down at the hexes like you are in Zombies or Zombicide. Um, But and they and they don't move. It's basically they broke in or they didn't or they're at this location. So it's it's not a matter of like trying to do hex movement, but like. Mm -hmm. Zombicide or something you 've got like two players that are two hexes away from the zombie mob, and then you've got to figure out how to split them and who goes where, and they've got all these like uh, aggro patterns that are like um, fucking Seal Team Six. Well, if this guy made this much noise, they'll go here unless this guy's one closer, and it's all these like greater than less than AI scenarios, and yeah, those suck. I, I completely agree, yeah. Mm-hmm
3: uh there is also diplomacy i played that once and then like it didn't end any friendships but i was like i don't know what to do uh, like i don't know how i have no idea how i'm going to beat anybody like uh it's just such a weird old abstract game in a lot of ways that i just couldn't wrap my head around it um of course that that was my first try and i didn't really so i didn't yeah that i guess doesn't really qualify but yeah a lot of those games with a lot of dice rolling like i used to like a lot more than i do now yeah um you know there are a bunch of these games workshop board games they put out that i used to like but i kind of soured on them uh like space hulk and whatnot like there's just so Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. dice rolling um and a lot of them are one-on-one player games and i hate those now like i used to be a lot more tolerant of those but like I do not like games that do not scale up, like they at least have the option of up to four players. Like I know that's a lot harder to do, but one-on-one games are just, mm. yeah. So, yeah.
1: I don't, I don't enjoy yeah. the antagonism of it,
0: honestly. yeah, yeah. Uh, You soured on Talisman. You and Randy used to be really into Talisman, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I soured on Talisman pretty hard. Um, and it's not that I think Talisman is a bad game. I, I, I do want to be clear. Like, I think Talisman can be fun. Um, I do think you have to have people playing with you who really want to play Talisman. Um, so Talisman, for me, like, there are a couple of games that are like grown-up Monopoly, and Talisman is one of them. Machi Koro is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think Machi Koro holds up. That game is generally enjoyable, and I do think it is the best available version of if you want to get someone into more board games and they like Monopoly, take them to Machi Koro, um, uh, or they're really into Catan and they don't know what else to play, take them to Machi Koro. Uh, Talisman, on the other hand, I like the RPG element of it. I like that you're developing a character. I like that you're making choices. I like that you can move around the map. I like that you can buy goods. I like that you can collect things. The problem for me over time with Talisman is that at the end of the day, it's just a Roland move. And... <sighs> Uh, and your win condition is heavily dictated by dice rolling. Now, you can do a bunch of pre-work to offset some of the randomness of dice rolling, but someone else cannot do any of the pre-work and just roll well, and the game ends even though it's taking you two and a half or three hours to get there. And so I think over time, you could add more boards to Talisman. Caleb, you stood in line at GenCod for me one year at the Fantasy Flight booth to get me some Talisman expansions, and they're enjoyable, and they add depth to the game problem is they don't move the needle on the game in a lot of ways that you can play with different wind conditions etc um but yeah it just uh i found so many more interesting ways to satisfy the character development the rpg style elements that i liked in talisman without having to do a roll and move, which is just not a not a format i care for anymore so those are games which have changed perspective or we've changed perspective on over time on that note Uh, we're going to grab a beer and we'll be right back with what was tied for your number one vote getter this week. Some armchair director. Hey, look, what are you drinking?
0: Uh, I'm drinking from New Belgium, the La Follie, which is a, how do you put it, foider? Fodder? Fo- fooder. Foder. Foder aged mm-hmm. sour brown ale. I like that word, fooder. Fooder. Uh All right, I'm going to drink
1: it. Uh, La Follie is one of my more favorite New Belgium beers. I have been a fan for a long time. It was also one of the first sours I got into um, uh, when we were in Denver. And uh, I still occasionally buy a La Follie. Yeah, it's a hard
0: five. Um, you, don't, you don't see a sour and a brown going together, but they blend it so well. It's uh, sour enough that you very much get your kick if you're on the, uh, you know, hardcore sour addiction like we are. Um, but you still taste the brown. Like, it hits you in the back of the throat, the slight bitterness. Um, you taste the malt. Um, so it's really the best of both worlds. That is a fantastic beer.
1: That's the crazy part, that it's not just a sour it adequately incorporates some of the the robustness the roundness of the brown so you do get something under the sour which is typically yeah. a problem
0: yeah so many of the sours that are not just advertised as sours or radlers or something or are um uh you know roses or something like that um when they combine it with like it's a sour stout it's just like well i don't taste the sour or it tastes like a sour that's yep. weirdly viscous you don't yep. get the other flavor but um, they don't compromise there. It's the best of both worlds. Hard five. Totally. Which is a 1.6? Four? 6, 4. Four. Yeah. Not a 1.6. <laughs> no. no, that, no. that would be
1: crazy. Believe. It's definitely a 1.4. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about? So we're in Armchair Director, which was tied for your number one vote getter this week. And Hostel V suggests best movie that focuses on a non-intelligent, and non anthro animal doing sports in armchair director. So here we are. And there's actually like a bummer small list on this because I Googled because I thought, well, we're all going to say airbud, or at least we're all going to think about saying airbud. So what do you do next? And there's not a ton, certainly not a ton of great, but there's just not a ton generally in this category, uh, especially the non anthro part. So I'm, I'm curious to see what other people have come up with here. Uh, Burke, as our guest, We're going to let you go first.
2: So I don't know if this satisfies the non-intelligent criterion. Um, It might. I think if you watch the movie, it definitely will. Uh, I'm going MVP 2, Most Vertical Primate. Yep. So um, MVP, Most Valuable Primate, is about a monkey that joins a hockey team. Mm -hmm. In MVP 2, the other hockey players are so mad that the monkey is good at hockeying that they frame him for biting a teammate, so he gets ejected from the team. He ends up a homeless monkey, where he befriends a homeless orphan, and they learn to skateboard together. And then through skateboarding, they change their life. Yep. By that becoming took a turn. All right. mm-hmm. So, uh, it's got a monkey skateboarding, which is pretty good to begin with. Um, you have the uh, small, cool, hip skate shop run by Richard Karn, Al Borland, of Home Improvement. <laughs> So you get to have Al Borland deliver lines like, your deck is pretty solid, but it could use some new trucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got a fucking, it's, it's everything that's great about like 90s, late 90s, kids skateboarding movies where the kid, whenever he has to do even the most basic trick, is magically transformed into an adult for that shot. Um, and you get a monkey skateboarding. So I, I don't think you can go better
1: yeah I think you probably just got you' get a monkey skateboarding that was it right It's I mean, a
2: monkey skateboarding. His name right. is Jack you know they don't have a lot of budget for thinking of monkey names <laughs> but the skateboarding shots are great
1: Caleb, what is your favorite non intelligent non anthro animal doing sports film
0: so here's my problem with non intelligent non anthro animal doing sports films um I have also had any sort of engagement with sports before, and especially children's sports where these animals tend to compete. Um, I have seen grown women and men attack referees at high school football games because their child got tackled. Um, I do not see any Karen in America tolerating you putting just a feral beast on her like child's Little League team, uh, or like pee wee basketball team. Like, I, I don't see that happening. They would demand the dog be put down. There would be a lot of other things. So how do you get past this glaring plot hole that basically exists in all of these non-intelligent, non-anthro animal movies? Well, you turn to Clint Eastwood and Every Which Way But Loose because that orangutan named Clyde is competing in underground boxing clubs. So... It's already a situation where somebody's mom with their bob cut is not going to come out to the, the tooth rattler uh, fucking speakeasy basement and, and get angry because Clyde the orangutan beat the shit out of a trucker. Um, it's not going to happen. And thus, Clyde is allowed to shine um, as he is a primate from the jungle and could feasibly rip the arms out of everyone in the room, right. uh, which he doesn't do. Because he's very restrained uh, and Clint Eastwood has trained him well. So um, they get on numerous adventures. There's some convoy esque driving shenanigans that occur in that film. There's a series of bar fights, one after another, that always involve uh, a very hangdog, sad, older orangutan. Um, and the, the juxtaposition of that with the honky tonk butt rock in the background
1: is just comedy gold so i'm gonna go
0: every which way but loose yeah
1: um i should have known that, that someone here well I, both of these are deep cut ish you know burke going with the sequel which is arguably the more interesting of the the most extreme primates um every which way but loose i did not see coming i mean bravo to you sir.
0: speaking of sequels there's a sequel to that film it was that good they also did any which way you can
1: wow every yeah. which way but looser um, yeah you
0: um you wouldn't think you could get two movies out of an underground monkey fight club, but you'd be wrong.
1: You wouldn't hope you could get two movies out of an underground primate fight club, but here we are. <laughs> so, listen, I'm, I'm just going to take the piss on this one. I was getting ready to like hoist a, a meaty defense of racing stripes. Uh, which is a film about a zebra that thinks he's a racehorse, starring, I did bring up the cast list because I think it's important, <laughs> Frankie Muniz, David Spade, Steve Harvey, Snoop Dogg, Jeff Foxworthy, and Patrick Stewart.
2: Wow, that's a regular I, Knives Out right there.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs>
2: that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> so I was going to defend Racing Stripes, but now that I don't have to, uh, I'm, I'm going to take the bit. The answer is Airbud. It spawned a genre of film.
3: A franchise.
1: Mm. A, a franchise and beyond. Mm. I would say it revitalized a genre of film. Airbud Air is not the first animal competing in sports. But it might as well be because it's the one, it, it has become the referent. This is no longer a metaphor, it's just the thing. And the thing is Airbud. The question may have well has been what's your favorite non Airbud Airbud? Because it has centered itself, grounded itself as the prime example of this very thing. So I'm going to take Airbud here. Give me any iteration of Airbud. Give me Soccer Bud. Give me Hockey Bud. Oh,
0: no, no. That's extra topical. You can't pick an entire series of film like OG, Burke OG limited Earth. himself to the second mvp yeah yeah, or, yeah there's
2: mvp3 most extreme primate like no. i could have you <laughs> know all... but mvp2 has special place in my heart because when it came out on uh, glorious dvd and vhs i was working at suncoast video which is now defunct uh movie retailer in malls and we had to put movies in store play and that was my choice as third key as the charge <laughs> Um, because they wanted you to put movies that they wanted people to buy, so people put like Shrek. I had to watch Shrek all goddamn day. Yeah, I had to watch the first Fast and the Furious all goddamn day. So I counted. Hell with yeah! Don't complain primer. about that. <laughs> Look, it's a, it's a little different to have it on repeat on forty screens around you while you're yeah, By different, you mean day. better?
1: It's a little better. You're right. So you i to do it. We'll take, you I'll wanna do it? OG you know, you know it.
2: what? I'll come out to Springfield. I'll build a mock Suncoast video, and we'll do just it. see how you like watching Shrek and Fast <laughs> and Furious all day. We'll do I it for charity.
0: I think for I think Ross just got aroused <laughs> at the thought, and that's
2: why Ross and I are of, a, yeah. of an empty <laughs> of an
0: empty fake Suncoast video. Like, yeah,
3: God, All
2: right, that was that's uh, where Maddie and
0: him about. are going to hold their wedding. Hey, that's our
3: new Kickstarter, man! Like, we just like <laughs> let us make a new uh, fake video store, and we'll sit in there for 24 hours a day listening. To, yeah, yeah, Ooh. I, I uh, yeah, it's performance art. it's What we need in these times
1: that's been armchair director. We're going to get more beer. I believe Burke is up and we'll be right back with a mixed six mock draft.
2: Burke, what are you drinking? Hey, I am drinking the brewery West. Uh, Hitchhiking Ghosts IPA. They have no other information about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's got some kind of purple design. What's yeah. this an
0: IPA? Why do you need more information about it?
2: Yeah, fair. There's little bits of text um, malted barley, raw oats, and citra mosaic. So citra mosaic. The, the, Motuka the, hops?
0: Yeah, two types of hops citra okay. and mosaic hops. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, for an IPA, I actually think this is very drinkable. Um, I posted a picture of it on the Mix Six Discord. Hit up the Patreon to get access to that. Um, it's a really cool can. The can is annoying because it's covered in stickers that fall off uh, as you drink. But um, yeah, this is great. It's it's got a lot of citrusy uh, notes. It's not too hoppy, um, which is one thing I hate in IPAs are the hop wars. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, this is a this is a four for me. Because IPAs tend to be undrinkable and actually yeah. like this. Nice. So.
0: Uh, Burke, I'm just going to warn you with that call to action. That is something that competent podcasters do, and we don't, <laughs> we don't do that here. <laughs> uh, right?
2: I'm a professional, sir. Okay.
0: Uh, well, I, I'm just saying, read the room. All right, <laughs> buddy? Okay. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about, Spencer?
1: So we're in the Mix 6 mock draft. Mock draft and it feels like we haven't done one of these for a while, but again, I don't really remember yesterday, so it's possible we did one yesterday. Um, Friedrich suggests draft three real-world politicians to give superpowers to. They are going to become a real-world superhero team. What powers do they get, and what is the team called? Extra point if you can make a team that won't just straight-up take over the world. What's funny is that you can tell Friedrich is not an American, because he still thinks that if you gave our politicians superpowers, they <laughs> the world. And no one I believe that to be the case, but make yes. the effort and hopefully we can all snag an extra point here. Um, I'm not going to roll D10s or D20s via the internet to determine who goes first. Instead, I will give that honor to Burke. Um, okay. You've already done such a great job of picking a rating system. I assume you've also picked an excellent <laughs> superhero politician team.
2: A- a- absolutely. So um, I didn't think I'd get to go first. So mine's slightly extra topical. In that um, oh, I figured good. you would both be creating superhero teams, maybe from the kind of same pool of the handful of beloved politicians we have. So I created a supervillain team to fight them because every superhero needs a supervillain. Nice. I, I don't want to confuse
1: extra topical with not the topic. Just, small, just, <laughs> well, just so we're well, on the same page.
2: Superhero but, is in the question, so I figured I didn't, I'd head off any shit at the pass. Yeah. Uh, anti-topical like it. got it right. yeah there you go anti-topical yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's really like what? a hot take yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing up to the bit so okay. that you have something all right,
1: all, right, all right okay cool cool, cool.
0: so the Give first person
2: i went with in my supervillain team gotta be joe biden uh just turns his foes into an incomprehensible mess that can barely form sentences uh but every villain needs sort of a a, a limiting factor so they're not too powerful so his uh limiting is he might not remember he has these superpowers to use them. Yeah. Uh, normally
0: when a supervillain's eyes go red, it is a sign they're, they're attacking. Um, and he will have just burst a blood vessel, but yeah, he'll give you the telekinetic senility, I guess. Um, yeah. There it is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Caleb, you're up next.
0: Uh, I'm going to take her off the board early. Uh, because I think other people are going to pick it. So my pick's going to be AOC. Um, she doesn't really have superpowers. She's going to do some Class 4 Batman shit. Uh, but the thing she does that is uh, extra beyond kicking people and throwing shurikens at them is that uh, she drives Republicans insane through uh, weird hate sexiness. Um, they they uh, Putting her in a sort of Batman outfit, I think, would be enough to drive your average boomer Republican, you know, taking an upshot selfie in their Ray-Bans in their truck, to some sort of horny induced self-destructive madness. I, I think
2: yeah.
0: the, the the posting would just ramp up to the point where they like drove their F-150 off of a cliff because they were too busy having just the darkest sexual fantasies about that poor woman. Um, and I, yeah, I think all it would take would be some kind of leather slinky Batman outfit and they would, they, they would take care of themselves. Um, so yeah.
1: I, I appreciate your effort here and I appreciate that it was in line with the superhero request Burke, but you hey. also, you also led with, but she doesn't have superpowers. So I just, I just want to say we're two picks into this mock draft in which you were to give politicians superpowers.
0: You uh, kicking Batman out of the justice league. Huh? Are you, are you kicking Batman out of the justice league? Okay. Uh, but we, we have had this Batman,
2: argument. Isn't Batman <laughs> style class war, just a rich dude beating up poor people.
0: Yeah, and I I want to give AOC the power to be a poor person beating up rich people. But also, you want to talk about superpowers. Look, if I put on a Batman outfit, no one is going to draw a fucking uh, cartoon of me in the National Review where I look like super sexy and hot and write death to America or the end underneath it with a stupid caption. I, I I think that's beyond human ability. It's pretty amazing. Like, I... I don't think any of us could put on a bad friend outfit and expect some Republican to draw us like one of his French girls and then just write, um, I wish she would die underneath it. Like the, the sheer cognitive disconnect is sort of profound. I think superhuman even. Um, so Caleb, that's my I,
1: I did not give you permission to read my Caleb fanfic. <laughs> I do not appreciate it. For, uh, okay, so my number one choice uh, who is a politician trying to be a superhero to whom I will give superpowers to in line with the prompt. Uh, I'll take Nancy Pelosi. Oh, no. I'll give her the thing I know she wants and thinks she already has, which is laser vision. I know she thinks she's doing it when she looks <sighs> at people, but she's not doing it. And so I just want to complete the whole thing for her. Okay? Okay.
0: <laughs> So you want to make Nancy Pelosi's illusion of effectiveness actually effective.
1: Bam. Okay, all right. And in that way, I have shown the first card in my effective hand of an (laughs) ineffective superhero team. Okay, so Nancy Pelosi. It's a snake draft. I will also go (laughs) second. Uh, So in keeping with politician, superpower, and extra point for them not taking over the world, I'm going to choose Elizabeth Warren, who I love and adore, and who I will give the power of super speed to because we have learned she can do more in a day than anyone else. And I want to give her the ability to do that times 100 X and still not be accepted as a credible politician in 2020. So now I have given Elizabeth Warren, what I believe she thinks she already has Nancy Pelosi, what she thinks she already has. And we can't move the ball here anyways. Yeah. So two for two, uh, Caleb, uh, I'm gonna go with um,
0: Vermin Supreme. Uh, I want him to actually summon rats and have the power to control rats. Um,
1: Who's the real world politician here?
0: Vermin Supreme. He's been in more Who elections is? than Pete fuck. fucking Budage. Like, off fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Vermin Supreme is literally a more experienced politician <laughs> than. I think five to six people who ran at the Democratic primaries. Um, now, here's the problem. He's a libertarian. I don't vibe with that. However, here's, here's the great arc of Vermin Supreme and the arc of a superhero. In learning to summon rats and control them to, like, move him around and, and, and fight, you know, class four, he will realize that he has become the rat state. Um, he has become sort of a status rat Superstructure uh, causing a sort of existential dread, but I think with verman's libertarian you know tendencies, he's going to have uh, a sort of a um, uh, 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 sort of fabian strategy for government. He's going to be very keen to give up power whenever available, and that's what you want from someone with absolute power over rats. You don't want them to abuse it. Uh, I think in realizing that he is now rat parliament and uh, the rat executive all rolled up into one. Um, he will be careful not to abuse his rat powers.
1: Yeah, Sure, sure. Well, that's certainly the one thing I'm worried about. Um, Burke, who's next on your list?
2: So next on my list, uh, every good uh, supervillain squad needs a a bruiser. So I went with Mitch McConnell. Um, But I actually, his superpower is that his jowls are actually an alien symbiote that can actually form out into several foot-long tendrils that are prehensile that he can fight with. Oh, it's like *Parasite* the maxim, but with Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Okay, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They just grow out of his face. And
3: mm-hmm. Does he have he a can. turtle shell? He can if you want. Okay, I mean that would that would fit the look.
2: It's kind so of like the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing is like a, a good example. Of, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. All right, uh, Burke. It's a snake draft, so you also get your last pick here.
2: Oh shit! Okay, um, last pick. I just went Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who I just drafted as a literal playground. <laughs> Just nothing clever. He's just a plague rat, just out there spreading plague.
1: Uh, have you all seen the video of him putting his uh, his face mask on
2: sideways?
3: Yeah,
1: it, it is. It is the best video on the
2: internet right now. It's amazing. There is um, a big protest. Times. There's a big like COVID is a lie protest in Huntington Beach, California, and there's a dude in full head to toe PPE with a COVID is a lie sign, <laughs> and that is the most American thing I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Caleb, who's your last pick
0: i just want to say vermin supreme could handle desantis oh c- as a plague rat he could control yeah, him definitely
3: can i can i suggest a, uh, an additional power for vermin supreme he can also summon ponies because he did promise everyone a free pony yeah uh, pony. so yeah so yeah just i summon ponies as well as rats
0: really you just have to classify ponies as vermin and he gets control <laughs> and i'm That's fine true. with that yeah um uh so this one's i'm giving this one to the internet but the internet was right um so Give Elon Omar a Gundam. Like, just give her one. <gasps> uh, uh, I know you thought I was going to pick Bernie, but Bernie goes full gindo. Like, Bernie gets the glasses, he peeks the fingers, and he tells Elon to get in the fucking robot. Um, yeah, just let her stomp around America. Uh, I want to see what she craters into the ground. Like So when you got, like, AOC uh, and Vermin doing street-level shit, Elon can just be, you know bashing shit up with a laser sword i'm down with it yeah uh does bernie get the
2: glasses and the chin strap (laughs) yeah 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 well he's retired now uh be
1: extra topical yeah (laughs) yeah a handler doesn't quite count there um uh last pick for me so and in keeping the theme with giving democrats what i think they already think they have uh I, i would i would choose chuck schumer And I would give him the plastic man abilities uh, because that is what he has to do with both his ideology and body to make sense of his positions at any given moment. And I find it impressive and it would probably be easier for him and less destructive on his soul if he could in fact just showcase what he is feeling and thinking.
0: Yeah, you would like to physically remove his spine so there's less... That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) And here's why this can both work and be ineffective. Uh, they can have all of these, and they're still the Democratic Party in America, <laughs> which means there's no fucking way they're taking over the world. So oh, yeah. I feel strongly yeah. that I get my bonus point. Okay, Agreed. that was the Mix 6 Mock Draft, and on that, we have a fire sale in just a second.
0: Spencer, what the fuck you drinking?
1: Uh, another RPX Adam beer. This is from Falls City Brewing in Louisville. This is, I think it's Louisville. It might be Lexington. It's Louisville. Uh, this is called, I'm not joking, the Hipster Repellent IPA. So uh, here's the description, and I, I just think this is worth reading. The hipster guy is back, but he's been through the ringer. His year-round beanie and non-prescription fashion glasses were finally done in. By this piney West Coast style IPA with the perfect blend of Citra, Amarillo, and Simcoe hops, I do not think I am going to like this beer. No,
0: no. The can,
1: which I'm showing all of you for reference, this area right here is actually raised as if it's imprinted, so it's kind of a nice bespoke mm. can,
2: like uh, embossed or just yes,
1: yes. But oh. but I do not plan to care for the thing inside of it.
0: No, if you're a brewer that writes such a tastelessly. Uh, culturally ignorant description of your beer i can't imagine your palate is that much more refined
1: um yeah
0: yeah and it looks like to be the case
1: uh, yeah uh, and i'm loathe to say i don't like it because it has repelled me and does that make me the hipster as if any of us actually didn't know the answer to that
0: yeah sort of a pascal's wager here going yeah, on totally. in
1: the yeah um i mean the back is much nicer than I expected it to be. The back is actually kind of refreshing and a little citrusy, but the front is air freshener hoppy. So um, let me take one more swig and see if it cools off a little bit.
0: He is drinking again. I am watching his face. It is also sad.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a two. Yep. It's yep. It's a not great version of a thing that was probably going to cap out at a four for me, uh, and so therefore it's a two. Uh, I've had much worse IPAs. I want to say that. And I, I think that there's a place for this beer, uh, open air brewery, nice day on draft. Sure. It's probably inoffensive enough, but, but for now I find it not, not enjoyable. Um, Hey, we're into ask mixed six and, uh, it's a fire sale and we got lots of questions. I thought the last fire sale we did where I just like speed read questions and identified people was efficient. But if you think there's a better method for fire sailing, um, gonna...
0: I, I can take over the reading if you want, but okay. yeah, I thought, I think it was a good uh, procedure in general. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, I have we... marked one. I want to answer, but otherwise. Yeah, yeah.
0: no, I, I see that. I got you. Yeah. Um, sure. All right, James Burns asks, are streaming services now becoming the new norm for consuming media, or will brick-and-mortar theaters recover? See uh, hot
2: takes. See hot takes. Actually but, topical.
0: But Ross, what do you think?
3: Um, I think uh, there will be a market, in, you know, when the nor- when <laughs> when we can leave our houses again, uh, there will be a market for certain types of theaters, like the Alamo, you know, dinner-in-a-movie model, uh, the, that sort of high-end stuff, and then, of course, the 4D... IMAX luxury like incredible sensory experience I think but I think the regular movie theater is going to have a real tough time uh because people now realize they can rent a first run movie for 20 bucks at home and eat whatever they want drink whatever they want pause it whenever they want uh, and TVs are now good enough you know you can get a big screen TV for cheapish uh that like most people aren't that much of cinephiles to you know, make a difference and like oh i must see it in the regular theater yeah you know, yeah so i think i think the regular theaters are in trouble but there's definitely gonna be a market for alamo draft houses and uh imax theaters and that kind of shit so.
1: mm-hmm.
0: i plan on projecting films onto these mm-hmm. sides of abandoned walmarts uh during our harvest day festival for my enclave. um Love it. just Love once it. a year uh so uh friedrich asks so how's life uh spencer how is life
1: Life is good. I will tell you candidly, and we've talked, I think in every episode we've recorded up till now. So three full length episodes that like by and large, I, I haven't been super affected by the whole thing. I've actually felt pretty good and I've transitioned to the working remotely lifestyle pretty well and settled in. I would tell you that this week, this week has been the toughest week of all of them. Uh, I don't, I don't know why this week was tough. I think partially it's because the weather was worse around here, and so I didn't feel like outside was a reprieve. I I didn't have as much chance to go out and go running. I did run today before recorded to kind of get myself back to normal. Um, I don't know if it's because the novelty and comfort of all of it has now caught up to just what is my natural curve of ups and downs. And so even if I weren't quarantined in my house functionally, I probably would have had a bad week out of the last five anyways. And so maybe it just felt worse because of the situation we're in. I think what's also been a little more difficult this week is that a lot of the extroverts, my teammates and friends who were struggling the first couple of weeks are now finding their pattern, their rhythm and all of this. And so they're feeling better. And so it felt incongruent this week to be just on such a different wavelength as they were all settling in. And frankly, I'd been settled in for four weeks. And so this week was just a little bit tougher. Uh, I do feel better on Saturday now, which is when we're recording. But yeah, there were definitely two or three days this week that were the probably the the lowliest of the lull, the bottom for me in all of this. I just think that's part of the bit here. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. I mean, we're all... Most of my, my brain of like,
0: stopped working this week. Yeah, uh, I feel yeah. like I've been hung over for seven days. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and many of us are similarly introverted and I, and I know that a number of us have kind of used the phrase Burke Ber- and I even were doing this in text yesterday like In some ways I kind of feel a little built for some of this like it's kind of my natural state anyways uh, But you know, even your natural state gets I think a little outrun and yeah. and that's where I was this week.
2: Yeah, I'm in a month and a half and this last week. I just could not focus on anything Mm. yeah Mm. yeah
1: Tuesday I uh I left work a little early I started a workout I gave up 15 minutes into my workout which I've never done because I couldn't get focused I couldn't get any energy um I took a bath and tried to read couldn't read just like was really kind of like fuck everything and seriously at 8 30 I just took my glasses off and I was like I'm gonna go to bed and just hit reset on all this and we'll see how Wednesday is and I've been pretty much better since then but yeah um this week was rough
3: yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, I finished a freelance writing assignment. Uh. About six days. Yeah. Six days ago on the twelfth. Jesus. Um. Uh, and up until then, I'd had like, gotta finish that writing assignment. Gotta finish that writing. so, like, I I was focused. And then this week, I've just been like, what do I do now? Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I have the regular amount of work I do, but I have more time than that. What do I do? And that's mm-hmm. why we wound up watching JoJo for eight hours, because I couldn't think of a better thing to do. <laughs> so, yeah. like yeah. uh yeah, trying to find something else to focus on has been difficult. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Let me also say as a last thing here, we've spent too much time on this. I understand it's my fault. Uh I also still feel very privileged and blessed to be in the position that I'm in through all of this. And I understand that, you know, my first order complaining around like uh, you know, being a little lull right now is stupid and dumb, but but it was the question, so I answered.
0: All right. Uh so from Chris Reed, The Mandalorian defaults to poor decisions and stubbornness by saying this is the way. What is your way to defend your foolishness? Um, I'll go starting new projects. I shouldn't. I got plenty of the other shit to do. <laughs> makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Fucking I'm gonna do it anyway. Good. Gonna gonna do it. Gonna
2: do it anyway. Uh
0: makes no goddamn sense. Uh so Ken R asks for Burke. Favorite space movie?
2: Yeah, this is a tricky one because to me, space is more of a trapping on top of existing genres rather than its, its own set. So I'll, I'll kind of divide this up. Um, like space history, uh, the recent First Man was very good. Um, mm. Congrats to Damien Chazelle for making a movie I can watch. That's really good. After Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah. Um, Hidden Figures <laughs> is great. Um, for space horror, uh, you, I love Event Horizon. It's such a high school movie. But Event Horizons. Sam Neil is so great at just yeah. being a crazy person in a <laughs> uh-huh. movie. Um, and then, like, if you want space genre, I got to go classics. I'm going to go 2001 uh-huh. and um, 72 Solaris, the, the the Russian Solaris. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: All right. Greg Bennett asks, "What are the games you've been playing most since we've gone to shelter at home? Revisited in classics or game something eh, a second chance? Uh, for me, I'll go uh, Azul." When I when I can we've been playing new games periodically. But when it comes time to like play a game, but I don't want to be barely invested in rules I haven't mastered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still want like a tactical challenge. I'm getting pretty good at Azul. Sarah and I
1: have so it, it, every time I think about board games, Azul inches up my list. And it was already a top ten, top five game for me. I think at some point it will be like my just most recommended, most go to game. I've said yeah. it before, like,
0: if there is an aftertime, and I make it to be an old man, um, like, old guys playing chess in the park, I will be challenging strangers to Azul matches. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Ethan Fissett asks, uh, given how much things have changed during the coronavirus pandemic, what changes do you think will be permanent and what changes do you plan to make permanent personally when this pandemic ends? Uh, Burke.
2: Societally, um, and there's another question that kind of hits this also a little bit deeper. I think there'll be very few meaningful changes. Um, oh. Unfortunately, I think as soon as the economy quote restarts, people will forget um, how we treated workers. Uh, personally, we'll also talk about this later. But I've been trying to read more, and I want to carry that that forward as like really carving out time in the day to truly read, which is not something I had done while I was totally working.
0: All right, turtle asks, what is something you wish you had gotten done in the before time uh ross
3: uh let's see here um probably recording more uh podcasts <laughs> with you all uh <laughs> stocking up a little more on uh, i we finally found toilet paper in the store, so we we narrowly avoided running out um honestly uh, there was a like the problem is the timing like I would have loved to you know gone out and travel more obviously but I was already traveling when it began so like um, there is stuff I would want to do but like yeah there's nothing like I already worked at home like I I didn't really you know miss anything so um, yeah uh, I don't yeah I'm pretty lucky in that regard I don't really have any aside from some supplies like I I haven't really had anything as
0: As an aside, I would like to say I really like how coronavirus has lowered the standards for me. I came home the other day with a package of toilet paper, a package of paper towels, and I got some Clorox wipe. And Sarah looked like I'd killed an elk with my teeth (laughs) and dragged it back to the tribe to feed us for winter. Like, it just really has lowered the standards for manhood. But let's be honest, I need it. Um, So thank you, coronavirus, for that. Uh, Alex asks... Uh, Alex Bauer, uh, what will the aftertimes look like? Do you think any of the insights or changes that have happened during COVID will stick? Uh, Ross and Burke have given their answers to this. What about you, Spence?
1: No, I think I said this last episode. No. Um, I I love seeing all these pictures of like LA without smog and, you know, the canals in Venice, the fish have returned. We are the virus. Right. We are the virus. You know, these like these these Pollyanna, uh, repair the world, recognize our place in it. Uh, No, none of that will change, Uh, none of that will happen. Um, and, uh, look, value these things for what they are. They are blips on the radar because we're forced to be blippy right now. It's sad. I think it's unfortunate. Yep. I, th- I think there's a lot to learn here that could be really good personally, socially, culturally, et cetera. Well,
3: I, I think like work from home, um, also labor. I mean, there've been so many like spontaneous strikes now. Um, I think that's definitely going to change in the future, but I think work from home is going to be a much bigger thing in the future. So I think that'll it, it's be
1: something that we are actively talking about at mostly serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of our team members have really thrived in this environment, have been more productive, felt like they could manage their lives a little bit better, et cetera, et cetera. So we are already talking about what does a return to new normal look like and how much do we actively integrate more? Because we already had a a pretty open work from home environment, but how do we kind of integrate more a work from home style endeavor? I, I think it'd be great if more organizations did that, if it worked for them. I just think the reality is the rush to reopen the economy is also a really nice way of talking about the rush to get back to what we were already doing. Um,
2: Yeah, totally. So I think there's a lot of stuff that's sort of been revealed by this pandemic that I hope people carry forward. Um, First of all, you mentioned this in previous episodes, but like who we consider essential, like, look, workers, you didn't go to work for a week and billionaires fucking freaked out. Okay. You have all the societal power if you, if you want, um, but just on a broad level, so I don't deal with this, but there's a large administrative staff at, at Carnegie that manage grants and HR and all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, it turns out with technology, they can get all of their 40 hours of work done in like I, 10. Yeah. Um, the, the the technology has made this hyper-efficient, but we still just demand 40 hours a week from people, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. they can produce 40 hours of, of value in, in 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know... God, it would. I would love if that carried forward, where people realize we didn't need a forty-hour work week to right. get shit done.
1: Yeah, you needed a valuable work week, and um, and, and that's difficult to navigate, but but yep. but it's worth navigating.
0: Yeah. Uh, as an aside, new life hack from Caleb: if you get a telemarketing call instead of responding to their questions, ask them who represents them and if they've thought of unionizing. They record that shit. They're going to hang up immediately and never call you again. I've tried it. It works. Uh, Try and unionize the telemarketers. They will stop calling you entirely. No doubt. Um, Jeff asks, what are your thoughts on playing RPGs with miniatures and wargaming terrain? I will answer. I am fine with it as long as I don't have to buy anything and I don't have to run it. Uh, Cassidy asks, what animal do you wish there was a domesticated version of to have as a pet? Ross.
3: Uh, <laughs> raccoons. Maddie loves them. I would, are uh, they not domesticated? No, they can't be they're they're assholes, like especially they when agree they to up. disagree. Some dogs are assholes. <laughs> Some dogs are assholes. All raccoons when they become adults are uh, well handful. a giraffe. Hey, I
0: Tiger King has taught us anything. Anything can be domesticated if you're not a They coward. aren't domesticated.
2: Yeah, right. They ripped that uh, guy's arm off. Like Look, they have nothing to lose but their leashes. <laughs> I want a pet giraffe. <laughs> That's the
3: leash is the domestication. You're talking I, about making them feral. I it's not how it works. One,
1: it was a woman, Ross. You asshole.
3: And two, no, that was a. It was a use Two, year. you, yeah. you, who
1: has, who has at your beck and call, a knowledge of every living animal on Earth, just stored in that dome, mm-hmm.
3: and,
1: and when given the opportunity to swing a, a titanium bat at a fat pitch, you said a raccoon. Come no, on, man. this I'm was this was, this, this was the Tesla truck. No! This was the Tesla truck.
2: Aww. Yeah, you yeah. cracked the window, you mm-hmm.
1: little... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh,
0: so... Uh, Hostel, Hostel V asks...
3: pangolins, how's that? Cool.
0: Hostel V asks, if you were in the CIA and had to kill Ronald Reagan by poisoning his jelly beans, which flavor is the safest choice that will ensure assassination in the quickest time window? As a food question, this has to go to Spencer.
1: Yeah, uh, it's the it's the coconutty one, the 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 white ones that are supposed to taste like coconut, but actually just taste disgusting. Anyways, a because coconut is terrible, and b synthetic or artificial coconut is somehow infinitely worse. So, so you think the, it would
0: disguise the poison?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, He'd be okay. like, "Oh, I forgot; these are awful." Uh, and then you know.
0: All right. Uh, someone anonymous asks if you could go back in time and prevent one popular Saturday morning cartoon series from ever existing what show would you pick to destroy
2: Perk? Okay, so you have to remember that all the shows are actually terrible. You just watched them as a kid. False. So <sighs> if I had to go back and destroy one, it's difficult, I would do Transformers. Because destroying Transformers destroys the Transformers movie series, which means Robert Kurtz, you know, Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi don't have careers. Which after watching Star Trek Picard is something I need. I need them to not have work anymore.
0: I appreciate how you unselfishly did like the go back in time and kill Hitler of stopping Saturday morning cartoons. It's the
2: Star Trek version of killing Hitler. Yeah. To, okay. You have to kill Transformers, so there's no Transformers movie. So Kurtzman and Orsi don't have careers, <laughs> so that the JJ Abrams treks are good. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right, uh, that was a fire sale. Uh, I
0: need another beer.
1: what
0: are you drinking i'm drinking from four brewing the uh contact high grapefruit rattler uh Forehand's is doing a new thing where they're sort of um making everything look like a pinball yeah,
1: machine they did that on a, they did that on an ipa like a Hazy. long time yeah, ago. yeah they did
0: yeah so they're they've added to that with the grapefruit rattler um as it is a grapefruit rattler and not an ipa uh i chose this one
1: to drink so i'm gonna try you know what's interesting? I think that IPA was a contact high as well. So I'm thinking contact high must be a series from them. Yeah. And the grapefruit rattlers in that series. Whew. Whew. Too much grapefruit? Uh
0: no. Like it's just it tastes like candy. Like, it is sweet. It is a very, very sweet beer. Um, to the point where there's not much beer to it, but it is it is like someone melted Smarties. And you're sort of like drinking the molten leftovers of mm. a of a
1: of a cooked smartie. I don't care for that. You know what's interesting? So we we go on and on about how great the the uh, ginger lemon Rattler from Boulevard is. Boulevard has another Rattler variant that they do that is also far too sweet and and tastes like melted down candy to me. So I'm wondering that
0: it's that a,
3: may be just like a style thing.
0: It's a three to me because you know I'm. Uh, tubby tubicans and sugars enough to get me over the line on pretty much anything uh but it is
2: it is too too sweet yeah yeah
1: Burke, this is a humanities fight which was tied for the number one vote getter and it's your topic so jump in there
2: that's right so um you know i have a lot of privilege and opportunity in this quarantine to kind of Um, disengage from my work and do whatever I want. So I think if you're in a similar situation, there's a sort of unprecedented opportunity to engage with or develop new hobbies. And the one that I've really focused on in the last month and a half is, is reading more with uh, a focus on fiction. This kind of came out of discussions with, with Caleb and uh, kind of being trolled by the YouTube algorithm. Um, So I just wanted to, to talk about this sort of the value, if if there is any value in being well-read, what, what should you read? um if people are reading so uh, i'll tell my story Is is basically this started because i made a bunch of david foster wallace jokes to caleb and a few other people on discord um the algorithm they were good. Stole, they were thank <laughs> you i i basically said that um because he wears the bandana and shit i said he should be a jojo character for Hall i said i said caleb should be david foster wallace as a jojo character for halloween um And the algorithm ate that up and started throwing DFW uh, interviews with me on YouTube because fucking everything is sold to each other. And I said, you know what? I'm terribly unread when it comes to... Poorly read when it comes to fiction because I was a terrible high school student. So all that shit that was assigned to me, I didn't read. I didn't read anything that was assigned to me in in my first pass through undergrad. So I'm going to fix this. And I said, fuck it. I'm just going to read Infinite Jest because if I can make it through that, anything else... (laughs) Should probably be be easy. To be clear, I begged him not to do this. It's like, true. Um, he did talk. He did try to <laughs> talk me out of it. And part like, of the no. discussion
0: was me saying, "Bad idea. Please stop." Caleb um, <laughs> like was just being a good friend.
2: Okay. And it's it's a weird thing because for me, it's not some like, um, like intellectual, posturing type thing. I just wanted to to read more, and because I'm an idiot, I started with something hard. And I'm about 200 pages in. I don't regret it. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. But just um, it's actually really gotten me excited to read more. So when I'm done, I'm going to tackle the, the Le Mans sort of top 100 books of the century list. Um, and it, it's been a really valuable experience. So I was having real issues. Um, first of all, I wasn't reading much in general because my my job was just reading technical papers all day. And when you get home, I don't want to read anything. I just want to play video games or like bullshit with people on Discord. As an English
0: teacher, I can attest. I'm yep. reading about 3,000% more than I was when I was having to grade essays every week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, have, I have no doubt. Um, it's been great for my attention span because um, I was having real problems sort of because uh, I'm kind of going through a career shift in the middle of this whole stupid thing, just the way academic uh, time time frames have lined up. Um it's just been really rewarding to just be like, yes, I can sit for an hour and just read and not feel like I need to look at my phone or watch anything or, or do anything else. So I'm just curious about as people who've read a lot more than I have, you know, sort of push that discussion out to you.
0: I think we've read a lot more in a field than you have. Um, But if you're talking about, (laughs) <laughs> scientific papers. Uh, I, I'm willing to bet that you are far more the Renaissance man than uh, me or Spencer or Ross. Um, Cause yeah. Uh, so th- that is the first thing I would regard in being well-read. I think being well-read in fiction is largely overrated. Okay. Um, however, um, it is very difficult to uh, engender the importance of literacy um, as opposed to not illiteracy, but a literacy, which is the real threat in U.S. society, um, being able to read but choosing not to, um, it's very difficult to fight against a literacy with anything but fiction, because fiction, in dealing with the human condition, and when you have to teach an entire class, is more relatable um, than, say, you know, uh, reading. Uh, a nonfiction text in most instances um, because I, that, that tends to be geared towards one's interests. So, um, you know, if I was your high school teacher Burke and I was trying to like activate you uh, I, it would be great in an individual study if we read, you know, something about, you know, stars or the universe or astrophysics or photography or something that'd be interesting you. But um, if I assign that, I would lose the kids that were already reading the great Gatsby. Uh, and so I would be trading. It's a numbers game when you teach in public education, and you're you're trading one for uh, it's it's a worse value proposition. Um, but as as fiction is the thing that leads in the discussion of why you need lifelong literacy and why you need to fight illiteracy, um, I think it is often overly confused with being somehow necessary to be well read. And I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think you need to list of David Foster Wallace fucking blather on about you know the nuances of his you know fanfic canadian border for 400 pages to be you know participating in a discussion um i think you need to be diverse and i think you definitely have that um with your reading online um i know i read more fiction than ross does because ross gets a lot of um Uh, inspiration from nonfiction and that's also very cool it's 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 something to discuss at a cocktail party and I really think that's it like I think the importance of being well read is people dismiss it because it is are you good at a cocktail party and I know that seems so vacuous and I know that seems like not something to aspire to and like a popularity contest but it's not we're social animals you hang out with people that you find interesting once you're an adult and you're not tied down to uh, longitude and latitude. You especially talk to people you find interesting and that you can learn things from when all longitude and latitude is annihilated and the only way to interact with human beings is via the internet. Um, And being well-read on a variety of topics, whatever those topics may be, um, is important. It's, It's important to maintain a conversation, maintain a friendship. Um, I hate to say that the value of being well-read is networking if you want to put it in a, in a business potential, but it largely is. We're social animals. Um, you, you, we learn from each other uh, in order to learn from each other. You need to assemble a sort of group that will both accept you and that you can learn from. And uh, it it helps to be well-read in a variety of subjects uh, as a result of that. Um, like I'm, I don't do judo anymore, but I'm very glad I did, because I, I talked to some like guy in an affliction t-shirt at a bar and we can have an <laughs> MMA conversation and he'll be like, Oh, this guy's not a shithead. I can I, I don't talk to him about Titus Andronicus, but like I, I can hang with like the English department if we do that. And then um, I've you know, I've read some Stephen Hawking and I'm a sci-fi nerd, so I can at least ask you questions to keep you going when you go talk about something that's not F stops. Um, But there's a, there's a social utility to it. And I think we, um, I don't think we pitch it right as a culture, at least in the U S but that's my spiel. Sorry.
1: I would say um, maybe like a a slightly different take. So I prefer to read fiction. uh, And I think that's because for years while I was not reading fiction uh, and I was reading, you know, philosophy or criticism or whatever, I got away from it. And now um, for me, reading is an unwind time. And so reading stuff that I find interesting, philosophy, criticism, et cetera, is not really unwind for me. That feels like work. The the amount of commitment and the, the amount of processing that I'm doing during some of that stuff, just it feels like overdrive as compared to, so like I just finished The Glass Hotel, which is Emily St. John Mandel's book, After Station Eleven, and I started The Dispossessed yesterday because I've been wanting to read Ursula K. Le Guin. Why not now? Uh, I got time. Uh, so I do I, I do prefer to read fiction in my free time. I would say this about fiction. I, I think the networking value of being well-read is like an interesting take, and I, I don't know that you're wrong. Um, I don't think that's the only value of being well-read. In fiction. I agree. I think another important element of that. Um, At least, and this may be cherry picking, right? So I'm thinking about like my favorite fiction, Kurt Vonnegut, Neil Gaiman recently. Uh, I think good fiction often, often lends perspective or metaphor that maybe you didn't have available to you or in your toolbox. And sometimes it's good to get other perspective or metaphor. A novel way of seeing something you've seen a million times can be a very valuable novel thing. And and so maybe it's a, it's a question of what you're reading or who you're reading or do, do they say things that resonate with you? But I do think that good fiction also helps you see the world differently. Even if you don't agree with it, I think it gives you an option to see it. And I do think that's important. Um, and so that that for me is kind of like a, a, a you know, the value of being well-read. Well, I,
0: th- I think when you read fiction, you're collecting abstraction. Um, whereas like if you read a technical document, you would be collecting technical information and concepts. But like when you, when you read fiction or or good history, you're collecting abstraction, you're collecting um, sets, uh, mental mm-hmm. sets and, and gaining that information. Like you would like the procedures of how to operate a telescope or, or, or something in a more technical paper. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I agree. There is a, like a, bucket is full bucket is empty now bucket is full aspect to reading as well beyond just the network oh totally yeah. yeah
2: yeah that's that's interesting because i was thinking about it entirely just as its impact on me um because i think there's some value in being um like a well-rounded person and i just thought that it was a an edge that was not as rounded as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. I totally,
1: yeah. I have found myself, so typically, like, I would only read while I took a bath or something. Like, it was kind mm-hmm. of this dedicated space. And over the last couple of weeks, I have found that, like, at 4 o'clock, I'll shut things down. And I'll just sit on my couch and not turn the television on. And for me, television was just background noise, always in forever. And so it was always on. It was always there. And and this goes along with the cable box conversation we had the last time we recorded. And now I don't turn the television on. I just sit and I read for an hour or an hour and a half until we eat dinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has been shocking to me how non anxiety inducing the silence and the solitude of just staring at a book has been. Mm -hmm. And that is a radical transition for me.
2: Exactly. Like I'm, I'm excited to finish this dumb 980 page monster um, and, and read some other stuff. Um, Caleb is right. Big is big down there, yeah. But well, you know, it's been fun to talk shit with Caleb about it. You know, like oh, these people <laughs> oh god, are the project, I can't wait. So now it's broken English. Weird, man. Weird man, when they choice, start, David,
0: when they start breaking down the architectural choices and history of a tennis academy,
2: I oh, cannot yep, wait for you. Yep, to... I've gotten past that part. Um, and I will say <laughs> oh no, that, there's more than one. Don't oh, worry. I'm sure, I, I will say it would. I, and maybe this is in general. um I would like to read more books and see if this is true. But mm-hmm. I think there's um. A lot of stuff that I can get through on my Kindle that I would not have been able to pre Kindle. Um, partially mm-hmm. because I can highlight a word, get a pronunciation and a, di- a dictionary definition, which is really necessary because sometimes he goes hard on like weird ways of saying facial. You know, like there's just weird synonyms he chooses. Um, but also like footnotes and stuff. You can just, oh, yeah. K- Kindle's essential for that book. You just uh-huh. click it and it just comes up at the bottom and you go, okay, mm-hmm. I don't want to read four paragraphs about why this tennis kind of structure is a cardioid um <laughs> i will move on um oh, this is very cardioid. ij focused this is very just focused because that's what i'm reading but i think in general um engaging with literacy on the kindle is is way more seamless than it was when i was in a, a dumb rural high school i do i do find
0: your choice interesting like it's like the guy first walks into a rate room is like i'm going to max out on squat with 600 pounds it's like all right yeah. what have you been lifting before lifting what's that and uh, you just you wrench with the back, right? Like you, you've you just picked the worst possible qu-
1: quick
2: motion. No, That's no, right. it's, it's fucking how I'm wired. You know, when I went back to undergrad for, you know, physics, math, and astronomy, like my first summer, I took like four summer classes just to get caught up on math. And it was yeah. miserable. It, it, uh, it's just you I just, I'm just not wired for middle ground. It, it only could have been
0: worse if you picked like Ulysses or something. Uh,
2: I, yeah, I thought, so. about it. <laughs> thought
0: about it. <laughs> uh, Ross, how about you?
3: Um, I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit about nonfiction, uh, because I, yeah, like you mentioned, I do probably read more nonfiction books than, uh, anyone else here. Uh, and I think there is obviously a lot of value in that, um, uh, in terms of like understanding things that are not taught to us in school or that we don't have an idea of get these perspectives on, you know, reading, uh, books about the history of the Incan empire or, uh, the interface of architecture and crime, um or the history of alcohol in the uh, early america like it it i mean for one thing you know now you realize that history and our culture is uh, far more complex but there are reoccurring sort of patterns and uh, shifts and it gives i think it helps you give a, a broader context and appreciation of everything that happens people say oh this is unprecedented or this is we kids had it much easier they had it much harder you know back in the day or whatever. It's like no no this is all in a way happened before Mm -hmm. you just have to uh uh, understand it and uh appreciate ambiguity and nuance which i know is not a lot of people's uh uh uh, jam as it were so like uh i appreciate ambiguity and uh nuance a lot more so uh and there's some really great stories to tell in history and just different cultures and different like uh, uh uh professions like the what what you learn structures how you think in terms of problems and stuff like that and uh, the more you learn the better you could the more lenses you have to look at something so um, I uh, yeah read some really like there's there's a middle ground between like nonfiction books for students and nonfiction books for like professionals you know technical varies. there's like Nonfiction books for sort of general audiences that are still like go into enough detail that you learn something new and are still valuable. So like find those kind of books and uh, uh, just learn something new, like something you've never like learned about before, uh, and not even like to make yourself more marketable or whatever, but just to understand something, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, nonfiction. It's cool, kids.
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you what I tell my kids: you should read some kind of thing regularly, and then you should read some other type of thing, and then you're probably good for ninety five percent of human interactions. Um, also, cool. if, if you're if you're a dabbler in two different subject matters, roughly in terms of genre, mm-hmm. you're, um, you're
3: probably fine. Aside it's, from it's like full books though there's also like long form pieces you know like the new yorker and other like magazines like read like a five th- or ten thousand word essay about something at least if you can like uh you know reading that plunder phonics essay uh manifesto for that episode of Nightclerk radio was uh, uh quite enlightening in terms of like how this person thought how they like came up with this whole idea of reappropriating uh, a recorded sound. Uh, yeah, totally.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of value to that because I, I do read a lot of articles and other stuff. I think this is very much focused on very intentional taking an hour out of my day to read something I normally wouldn't want to. Um, so you saying read two things is interesting because I was going to ask, you know, do you, people who read a lot, do you juggle multiple books? Because I kind of want to read other stuff like in between plowing through chapters? Of You're going to need to, buddy. Um, um, so yeah. maybe I'll, I'll have kind of two or three in parallel because I have a really cool book on like Japanese aesthetics and architecture that I kind of want to start. So maybe uh, I'll...
0: Yeah, I'm reading uh, Sarah Crandazor's Hiding in Plain Sight, which is a series of essays about the, you know, she called the Trump administration in 2014. Um, and it's a series of like unpacking that. Uh, and then I'm also reading Dune because I'd never read it before. <laughs> So. I didn't
2: want to out you for reading Dean on the podcast, but
0: well you are a bit of whore. so yeah. you promised him sons. Uh, <laughs> I just I just want to know the memes and do space cocaine. Uh but yeah, space cocaine. That's that's where we should leave this. Uh yeah, space cocaine. Hey, Burke, what are you drinking?
2: Hey, since I drank the last beer in my house for the last segment, I made myself a cocktail. I'm having a Gold Rush, which is really a whiskey sour, but made with um, lemon juice and honey syrup, like a very rich honey syrup. Oh, mm, that sounds delicious. It is delicious.
1: Well, it's a four delicious, according to the records you've put in the notes. That this it's is a Sure, four, I wrote down the score before tasting it. I'm right. sorry. Well, it is a right. four.
2: What uh, um, aperture is that? That's 2.8, Ross. That's, yeah. that's what you shoot for in your holy trinity of zooms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's a four because it's very good, but it's still pretty one note, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't sure. have the, the complexity. Of, yeah, it's a little sweet sort of bourbon drink. It doesn't have yep. a lot of the complexity of, like, a really involved tiki drink or, or other cocktails. Yeah, I hear you on
1: that. Um, hey, it's our last segment, we're into Drunk Enough. And so he- here's a question I've been wondering about now as, uh, you know, the there's at least been this like national, like, Hey, shut it down. Right. Social distancing. We've had these moments of singular focus as a country. And now, um, states and, uh, MAGA hat wearing motherfuckers are deciding, you know, standing in the street screaming about open the government back up, et cetera. And I don't, I'm, we've probably all seen the pictures from Michigan now of people with their like faces pressed up against the glass.
0: COVID idiots. Yeah.
1: Right. It, it looks like the Shaun of the dead movie poster, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, and, and the stories around COVID in the various parts of our country, and certainly the world, are about to be very different. And so I've been thinking a lot lately, what, if you had to make a COVID movie, right? Because this is, uh, at least in American terms, this is uh, closest thing to disaster film that we've had happen to us outside of the school shootings every day for the last 20 years. Uh, this is the closest
2: thing hey, to disaster hey, film. Hey, hey, None in March. That's right. We That's did right. it. But we still had non-school mass shootings. So, Uh,
0: So, (laughs) Hey, I'm a teacher, man. I got to take
1: my wins whenever I can get it. That's right. Uh, What story, if you got to, so if you were making a movie, producing a movie about COVID, what storyline of COVID-19 would you focus on? The utter collapse of the veil of government, the collapse of the economy, the idiots in Florida who are already back on the beaches, Texas just generally... Uh, maybe on individuals who are struggling through this or people who aren't struggling through this. What story would you tell? And, bonus, who would you get to direct the film?
2: Okay, so I would actually do... My first thought was an alternate history, sort of of COVID-19 movie, where the pandemic never spreads um, because it's a Quentin Tarantino film where everybody greets each other by shaking feet instead of shaking hands. (laughs) And therefore... There is no pandemic. That's uh, that's my first pick. Is a Quentin Tarantino alternate history. Shake: okay. foot, Did foot it, And didn't moves.
1: see it coming. So uh, points for novelty. Thank you. Uh,
2: that's all he goes for these days.
0: Uh, yeah. We've we've <laughs> named our we've renamed our coffee table Tarantino because he keeps eating our toes because we keep. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
3: yeah. uh, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah, um, it's pretty uh, good. Caleb,
1: what story would you tell?
0: God I'm I'm so torn like it's a matter of focus like if if I'm unbound by time and I want to go macro my my theme is all the same I think this is a apocalypse brought about by stupidity and corruption um I th- I think that's it like uh, I I I think nature of course has a hand to play in all this with uh you know coronavirus and you know jumping the species gap uh but I think that you know when you defund the CDC And uh, take them from 52 international centers to 11. um, And then you get surprised when there's a pandemic. It's there. So I, I think it's fundamentally driven by ineptitude. So it's about who is going to make the best version of that ineptitude. If you want to go utterly macro and I can bring people back from the dead, I want Stanley Kubrick. I want the Dr. Strangelove of the COVID. Nineteen pandemic. Totally. Um, if you want to go like more education but entertainment at the buffoonery going on, I'd go Adam McKay, all of The Big Short, because like when you talk about how the economy is going to fucking collapse, he will do it in an entertaining and also accurate way. Um, and then if you want to get really into macro, uh, my deep cut, if we're going to focus on individual people, is going to be uh, Christopher Morris of Four Lions which if you've never seen that film is a hilarious movie about terrorism um, and how stupid terrorists are, uh, which is you're going to need that balancing act of like people legitimately died for the dumbest reasons possible. And can you make me laugh at something that is that darkly humorous? And Four Lions achieved that goal. So uh, if I'm going to focus on the minor like human story, it would be uh, old Chris for that one so it really depends on your level of focus
1: yeah. sure sure ross what story do you tell
3: um i mean i would tell the story about probably one of the wildcat strikes that have been happening maybe the amazon one uh like the guys the people up in chicago striking getting everybody paid overtime work um and for that uh i mean but there's been so many there's probably oh, undoubtedly gonna be more but like people just like fuck it let's walk off until those fuckers give us at least face masks and arrays um so uh the obvious choice would be for me boots riley Uh, You know, sorry to bother you Obviously he would do a good job Um, You know, actually, uh, Maddie and I Recently watched Birds of Prey uh, Directed by Kathy Yan, and that's like her first Big movie Um, And it was very stylish, and I would be Really interested, I think she's a new director And I would be really interested to see What she does next Um, But I saw, uh, I mean Certainly, well, it's a I mean, by DC movies, it's a good movie Like, (laughs) yeah So like I think uh, there's a lot of potential in her as a director. So I think something like that uh, would be really good. So I would definitely do the Wildcat Strikes, but like with either Boots Riley or Kathy, yeah. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh,
1: I'm interested in a take that we haven't totally covered yet. And I don't really know how to describe it. So I'm going to bumble my way through this a little bit, but I'd be really, really interested in a like uh, kind of like gross, how bad can this be kind of way to watch like a a Clint Eastwood directed film about COVID in America.
3: (laughs) Because I I want to see You're a monster. Yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) I want to see that reconcile the American narrative that he, that that winds up in all of his films uh, with the, the obvious and real death of tens, probably soon to be hundreds of thousands of Americans and try to navigate that in a in a pro America. Like I would just be interested. I you think, know he's
0: going to be thinking. throwing like mannequins or real dolls into mass graves because he doesn't want to pay extras, right? Like hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a that's
1: a that's a cost of entry for for Clint Eastwood film about COVID nineteen. And I also want to see what he calls a COVID nineteen film because it'll be something like value baiting, uh, and then it'll be like, oh shit, that's about COVID. Okay, interesting. Alternative and freedom. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Wuhan if, was. If I, I want the antidote to that film, oh yeah, the
0: war against Wuhan would definitely be yeah. there.
1: there. It is. Yeah. He would yeah, make it word.
0: military. The special forces would take down the virus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Wu Wu haunted the ghosts of COVID past. Yeah. Um, uh, or as the uh, antidote yeah. to that film, what I want to see is um, a Veep style. Uh, kind of like uh, tracking of the inner workings of the White House press conferences and the dynamic uh, between scientists who have to get up there and say things and idiots who get up there and say more things. And I would like to see that directed by Edgar Wright, because the quick cut frenetic interaction of those two perspectives can, I think, can only really be captured by someone who understands incongruity well, and Edgar Wright is really good with incongruity. Uh, And so I would watch either of those films, one because I hated it on premise and the other, because I thought it was a nice antidote and probably an accurate summary of the kind of thing happening in the most important conversations in
2: the country. I think Uh, if you wanted like a a really serious um, movie, maybe like a a modern contagion type deal, I actually would love to see um, like um, Denis Villeneuve do something in the style of Sicario, but CDC would Uh be really interesting interesting about people um, and their different sort of affiliations and beliefs. Isn't that just Contagion? Yeah, but this is new.
1: But Denny V. Oh, okay. But Denny V. Actually, you know, Burke, when you say that, Denny V was also on my list, but for a slightly different reason, which was Denny V does really great, big, open, unused spaces. And so Denny Mm -hmm. V capturing... abandoned malls, uh, Times Square, uh, and and kind of the scope of all that, I think is like natural to his style. And I think it would, it would show scope of the
0: project. I think if you want, yeah, I think contagion wise, I think you go Steven Soderbergh, if you want like a realistic parallel narratives, uh, multiple levels at the same time, dealing with the Benedict, like for that. Um, To Spencer's case, if you go full Adorno-Horkheimer culture industry and just make a propaganda piece, I want a joint like, I want, like, a, like a grindhouse double feature um, funded by Trump, directed by uh, both Zack Snyder and uh, uh, Antoine Fuqua of Olympus' Fault. <laughs> can, we, um, can we stop giving I Snyder I Because or... I want, like, a fucking slow-mo of, like, a jacked, ripped Donald Trump, like, air-punching a COVID cell. Um, if, if we're going for maximum absurdity, I think Clint Eastwood would ground that too much. I want it to be full-blown <laughs> fascist Wagnerian insanity if I have to watch that.
2: Um, yeah. I would love a COVID movie directed by Neil Breen. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. Like you, where he is, you would love eighty that, movie directed by Neil Breed That doesn't count. Yeah, but you know what? He's on my mind because he's got a documentary out this week. A movies. retrospective. A retrospective. Years for only one hundred and sixty dollars for two hand burned DVDs with printed labels. Are you buying a it? Half hour. Uh, you know what? I don't want to, but also Papa Trump sent me twelve hundred bucks. And, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe some of that for Neil Breed retrospective is worth it. <laughs> Maybe it's I, worth it.
1: Please, please, dear God, tell me that's how you actually use your stimulus money.
2: Well, a little over 10% of my stimulus yeah, money.
1: Right. Or maybe, maybe you do like a, so instead of like all this, what you do is you do like a Brewster's millions, but it's, <laughs> it's just the stimulus money that went to Ruth's Chris. Uh, what is so the stupidest
2: shit you can spend $1,200 on?
1: Well, Ruth's Chris got $20 million as part of the Paycheck Protection Program as a small business.
2: Oh, that'll get you one stake.
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. And so the owner of Ruth's Chris now has to subtly spend that $20 million and not tell anyone how he's done it. And so maybe that's like the COVID film we all wanted. Hmm. Um, you hey, if you've been <laughs> listening to this, it means you're not necessarily a backer of a certain level, but you certainly could be. Don't forget to check out our Patreon where we've got a ton of additional content, lots of full-length episodes as well as Hot Takes on Ice and Jury of Our Beers. Um, As always, we've had a blast having Burke here and one final plug for Nightclerk Radio, which you can find on a variety of streaming platforms. Ross, what is it again?
3: Uh, Nightclerkradio.com. And uh, it is a vaporwave and dark ambient music review podcast starring Burke and I, as we plumb the depths of weird music on the internet.
1: So yeah, exactly what you'd expect from a Ross Payton podcast. (laughs) Uh, And so if you like the other stuff, you'll probably like this stuff too. Um, hey, don't forget to check us out on Twitter at The Mix 6. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group. Look us up on Instagram and YouTube. That's Y-O-U-T-U-B-E dot com. Not any of the other tubes, probably. Uh, and if you're listening to us on a podcast streaming application that gives you the opportunity to rate and review things, please rate and review us. If you like it, uh, forget that I mentioned that if you don't, so that other people can find us and it moves us up in the queue. Uh, Hope everybody's staying safe. Hope everybody's staying healthy. Reminder, if you're a patron or you've been a patron of the Mix 6 and you need help right now, Uh, It's never a bad idea to ask. We have the Mix 6 Mutual Aid Fund. We're giving away $15 a pop to people who have supported us in the past. Just hit us up in our Discord if you're a patron. You can also DM us on Twitter at the Mix 6, send us a message on Facebook or email us directly through the Patreon application. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen we hope you're safe, we hope you're healthy and we're looking forward to producing more content for you while you hopefully stay indoors and have plenty of work to do. This has been the Mix 6 Podcast. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll talk to you next time.